Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ah, welcome back to Hurtel. Okay, excited about this one. Been wanting to talk to her for a while. We keep crossing paths on lines and then different things. Never actually got to talk to each other. That's the beauty of the medium. Ashley Barker's with us. She's from public policy. Does that for the Committee for Justice, a bunch of other things, federal society. She also does antitrust, but we're going to talk some lawyer in today, Supreme Court stuff. Ashley, how are you? Great to finally have you on the program, ma'am. Great. Thank you for having me. Uh, thrilled to have you. Okay, we have the inevitable headline that we've kind of been waiting on. It was a matter of when. The leaker of the Dobbs decision, the Supreme Court came out with their statement. Dare I say it was a very lawyery statement. Uh, the bullet point on it was, and I'm quoting here, uh, they could not find to the preponderance of evidence who leaked it. That caught my attention. I don't think this is a case where they don't know who it is. I think this is a case where they either can't prove it or don't want to reveal it. How did that statement come across to you as somebody that really follows this really closely? Sure. Thanks. So I, I think you're you're correct, Dave. First of all, it is very long overdue. It's been over, I think, nine months now since it's May fourth or fifth when it was when the draft opinion was originally leaked. And, and you make a good point too about the preponderance of the evidence. So of course that you know you, you mentioned it as sounding lawyerly, and it's not as if such a statement um, needed to have a preponderance of the evidence standard versus you know a reasonable doubt sort of standard. Um, and, and I think you're correct too. And and that was my reading of it um, at at on first impression is that they do have, you know, a suspect or a small number of people that they suspect did it, but they lack the actual evidence linking it specifically to that person, whether that be, you know, a digital footprint or, or fingerprint or whatever that sort of evidence is. Um, they don't have enough to definitively say we have a piece of evidence that implicates this person. Um, but, you know, the fact that they set a preponderance of evidence, it does mean that they, um, you know, weren't looking for, it would be different if it were like, well, we couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt. We're not 100% certain. There could be some doubts. Um, no, it, it's just that they were missing a key um, piece of evidence, and that could be because of, you know, the IT systems at the court, um, probably not surprising that they're stuck, you know, back a few centuries ago in terms of their systems and protocols and other things. So it seems that they were inclusive, inconclusive in their findings, which was really disappointing from my perspective. Ashley Baker joining us. It's funny when you actually read through the report here, ju not just what the marshal said, um, but they also brought in an outside uh, report as well. <laughs> It's funny here, uh, the Chertoff group, of course, Michael Chertoff, familiar name in, in Homeland mm -hmm. Security circles. It's funny here, you mentioned the technology and the digital footprint. It almost seems like what they couldn't handle here is, though, is in their interviews, and they didn't get interview everybody here. That's important to note here. They talk about things like what we would used to call pillow talk, like, well, they talked to their spouse. Did they mention it? A couple people admitted they mentioned it in that way. It's not just technology. This is just kind of a human nature thing you're fighting here, isn't it? Which is somewhat something the law's been dealing with since we first started having law, right? Uh, yes, I, I agree. It's well, one hand, yes, it is something that we've, we've been dealing with um, human nature, and it seems that it was probably a printed copy that was shared one way or the other. But also, I don't think we've dealt with this level of activism that we have today. 
um, and other cases as well, it's just that, you know, the, the types of students who are coming out of places like Yale today are the types who would see it as, you know, this is being something that's permissible, something that they should do. And that just was completely out of the question beforehand, I think. Yeah, Ashley Baker joining us. Let's back up then because it's important to keep the perspective here. We haven't had a leak like this in modern times with modern technology. There's some stuff back in the early days of the court. Look, the Supreme Court has some dirty laundry like every other government organization. If you go back, especially in the early days, there's some real questionable characters uh, <laughs> involved. But this is new in the modern time. I think it shocked people. Walk through people through it just real slowly, though. This is a court that's still trying to figure out the technological. A Look, we just got recordings of live court hearings because of COVID stuff. That's almost like the dam breaking in a lot of ways. The court is very slow to adapt to the public. That's the environment this all happened in. And that's why this came as such a shock when we had this breach of protocol. I think so. Uh, you're correct that the courts adapt slow to adapt to the public with, with COVID, but in some ways they've been good, such as oral argument for, format, for example, I think has actually become a little bit better as a um, result of the pandemic. And it's great to be able to listen to that in real time online. So that's one thing that they did well. The other thing, you know, it, it's not surprising that so the Supreme Court barely had a functioning website during part of the month of June until about five years ago. It was like every June, the Supreme Court website on opinion day would crash once or twice. Um, and everyone would go find the opinions on SCOTUS blog. It's, um, it's, bad enough that you know once essentially the pr arm of a boutique law firm became the go-to source for supreme court opinions for many years which is absurd if you think about it because you should be able to just go to the government website and find that document um in terms of you know the sharing of documents being able to take them home that process working differently work at home um aspect of it yes whether or not different protocols and those which I, I think the recommendations in the report are solid whether or not that would have actually stopped this from happening it's really hard to say i mean it could be you know someone could leave a printed copy in you know a cafeteria in the metro like they could leave it at home and their roommate or their um spouse or whatever could see it um so it's not completely foolproof um which is why i think it's also important that there are consequences for this sort of action yeah ashley baker Let's talk about that for just a second, though, because we just walked through it a little bit. The Supreme Court, when it's these court cases, I think and I would hope, look, I've, I've become real big since I started doing editing and writing and stuff is get to the source documents. Right. Mm -hmm. This stuff is not as intimidating to read as I think people think it is. Dodge may be the first time people really actually tried to look up and read a decision themselves. For just the average person that's not a lawyer, but they just want to keep up with, look, the, the Supreme Court is so entwined now, especially with, you know, kind of the breakdown in the legislative system. If there's a theme of the Roberts courts, it's Congress needs to fix this. We shouldn't fix this. There's a lot of back and forth here for the average person who keeps seeing the Supreme Court pop up. How should they go about reading these, getting the source documents? I know you mentioned the SCOTUS blog. It's a great website. I use it all the time myself. But you can just get the straight PDFs for this stuff. You can find the source doc. You don't have to take a talking head's word for it on either side because both want to spin this to their own ways. How do they go about actually getting this information? Because I think this is one of those things we could self-educate ourselves and get through a lot of this mess in a hurry. I think so. But I think a lot of people, too, even when the link is provided, want the you know short, quick, regurgitated version. And some people want the version of it that aligns with their beliefs. So there, there's always going to be an element of some people not reading you know the source documents I mean, and working in other areas. And let's say antitrust, for example, there are plenty of people who do not read um, the cases or not read the thing that they're responding to. But that said, I mean, for those who are inclined to do so, 
one thing that I would suggest is either SCOTUS blog. Um, it's a great suggestion. They always um, print a link to the document. Also, the Supreme Court website, like I said, which is now um, easier to access and easier to navigate um, on the page than it used to be. And also following reporters on Twitter who consistently own opinion days, particularly in June when all the opinions come out very quickly at once, who provide links to the document. Um, like find those reporters and um, and follow them. Yeah, Ashley Baker. Okay, talking about following stuff. Anytime we have a huge story like this leak, it puts my radar up on because like, well, wait a minute, the Supreme Court's working right now. They're going through things right now mm -hmm. and everybody's talking about this. What are we missing that the court's doing right now? Because we don't have the big ticket like a Dobbs going right now, but we got some really important cases working through the court right now. We also have some things that they're going to review. What's going on that's missing in these headlines and the rush of the coverage of the Dobbs leaker? Well, kind of going back to Dobbs specifically and, and the harm that the leak does is it is it's to that process. It's to the deliberative process after you know, this draft was actually it, the date sample was February 10th or so, I believe it was um, early to mid February and it was leaked in May. And during that that time is you know used to deliberate with the other with the other justices for other justices, right, dissenting opinions, concurring opinions, dissenting in parts, that sort of thing. So what's really being impeded is that process which does require cooperation across chambers and i think a lot of um trust and ability for clerks to work with one another has been eroded i don't think this necessarily means that justices won't trust their own clerks i don't think that the trust that's eroded is like vertical so to speak i think it's between um between the, the different chambers um of, of the court um and, and as of what's going on right now I and mean, it's most of the opinions come out in June. Um, oral arguments have been heard in quite a few cases. We have quite a few to go. And there's kind of this rush um, to get out opinions towards the um, end of the Supreme Court term, which usually ends at the very end of June. They'll extend it by a week or so. Um, and that's when most of the opinions of the court come out, especially the um, more complex opinions that take the justices a bit more time to um, get through and to write various concurring and dissenting opinions. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, Ashley yeah. Baker joining us. For folks that aren't familiar, though, let's just make sure we don't skip over this too far. That The Dobbs leak, it actually had first draft stamped on it. Like, you could read the stamp on the copy that got out. Talk about that process a little bit. You're talking about cross chambers. The justices don't just write an opinion and submit it, and they, it's not like turning in a work at school, right? They write it, but then they pass it between themselves so they can refine their arguments. They can refine, you know, whoever's in dissent, who's ever in the majority. They work through who's going to be in what. There's an 
negotiation is probably not the right word, but for something that everybody can get their heads around, they refine these opinions down based off what each other's writing. That's why a draft leak was so damaging because they got to trust each other. Like, all right, here's how I'm going to disagree with you. Scalia was famous for this. He would actually send his over as early as possible. Like, here's what I'm saying, you know, write, write what you're going to dissent off what I already wrote. There's a there's not just a camaraderie there, but there's an important part of the legal process there. And that's what gets damaged by this. Yes, absolutely. I mean, like, and the duty of the court in writing these opinions is partially to explain to the public how exactly we, we arrived here, um, what our rationale is. And if you notice the final version of the, the Dobbs opinion um, versus the one that was leaked, the only difference is really we're responding to the dissenting and concurring opinions. The opinion itself and the number of those who were um, in agreement with it, all of that remained the same. It, it kind of, I, I think it, as soon as it leaked, my first thought was, well, this is probably locked in at this point. Um, and I don't think that was necessarily their motive, but I couldn't see the possibility of someone flipping because they would forever be known as that um, justice who flipped in Dobbs. Yeah, I thought the same thing. And then the other thing I thought was, and I don't want to do conspiracy theories here, but like it had to be one of the, and there's different levels of clerks, the clerks that would have access to a draft copy. That's a very small number of people and the justices. The two concerns is, was it a clerk or was it a justice? It almost seems like it's incalculable that it would be a justice. But the way they've handled this, they kind of left the door open for the conspiracy folks to think this might have been a justice. I don't want to speculate on it, but if it was a justice, that's that's really not good. I mean, I think there's virtually no chance it was one of the justices. Um, none from um, either side of this case would do this. I think they, there's too much respect for the institution amongst the justices. And also thinking about this, too, just from a purely practical perspective, they're appointed to the court for life. They have to work with their colleagues as long as they're there. Um, it would, from a purely practical standpoint, I mean, obviously, other than just being wrong, it would make no sense to do this nor would they be able to persuade their colleagues to go one way or the other by doing that. Um, there's just absolutely no good motive there. Yeah. Ashley Baker joining us. Okay. That's that story. What's coming up in the Supreme Court here? You just went through the timeline a little bit. Usually we get the big announcements, you know, May, June, July kind of time period. What's the stuff folks should be watching out for this spring that the court's going to be watching in the headlines as they follow along? Well, there are quite a few big cases that will be in the headlines. The court recently has not um, been shy. I mean, Dobbs is evidence of this. The fact that they've even granted it, they're, they're granting cases now that um, aren't as non-controversial, aren't as necessarily incrementalist as the court did in years past, which I think is a is a good thing um, to, to reevaluate some of these larger issues. Uh, there's a large case involving affirmative action and college admissions that will be coming up um, that was starting to make headlines um, about whether or not um, racial preferencing is discriminatory and also if it's discriminatory against um, particularly Asian students in this case. Um, there are some administrative law opinions, um, as always. There's a pair of cases, Axon versus FTC and um, SEC versus Cochran, that um, that will decide some issues of federal jurisdiction or whether constitutional claims need to be heard, like in house, like in that agency, um, or if that can go, if that needs to go to federal court, as it would in pretty much any other case. Um, that's a, a narrow and kind of wonky case, but I think it's pretty significant in terms of where the court's going um, in, in administrative law. There's a copyright case as well uh, that involves the Andy Warhol Foundation that the court's going to kind of explore what is fair use, what is not fair use 
when it comes to reproducing certain images in which he did not have a license currently to do so. Andy Warhol still causing trouble in the year of our Lord 2023. Uh, <laughs> Ashley Baker joining us. Let, let's one more thing about this Supreme Court, though. People do look, it's a narrative. I don't like it because I don't like to waste my time on things that are a waste of my time. There's this whole narrative in the news media about the legitimacy of the Supreme Court. Well, the, the Supreme Court, I understand the terminology of legitimacy, but the problem is legitimacy is in the eye of the beholder, and these people have lifetime appointments, so it really doesn't matter whether you think they're legitimate or not. However, having said that, I wonder if this is one of those things where it's just people are more aware of how it works in the inner workings, and they're applying it through the polarized political filter. I think that's more the story. People are viewing the court, because the court, you know, it comes and goes, it gets liberal, it gets more conservative, it'll swing back more liberal at some point. These things go in cycles. I think people's awareness of it is just higher, and with social media, people like to use it for their own means. I think it's how we're viewing the court as the real story here more so than the court itself. Is that a fair way do you think you put it? I think so too. I, I The bigger problem here is that people view the courts as making policy and when that policy has kind of gone their way for many years and now it's suddenly not, you, you see this huge outcry when really the outcome and job just means that you know, this decision is not the job of the Supreme Court. We return this to the legislature, to those who are represented by the people, those who are the you know, elected representatives that are closest. So it's not, you know, it's that they gave away power. You'll notice you don't see anyone really making any strong arguments for why Roe should have been upheld. It's more of, you know, why not to overturn Roe. And if, at the end of the day, I think Alito did a really fantastic job in his opinion. I think that's one thing that's a little bit underappreciated just because of all the discussion of, uh, around the leak is how great of a job Justice Alito did and just kind of laying out several reasons of what to, you, you know, kind of look towards and deciding whether or not a precedent should be overturned. And at the end of the day, he says, um, look, Roe held that there's an abortion, right? Supposedly somewhere in the first or fourth or the ninth or 14th amendments. But, you know, where is it? Um, they can't pinpoint a certain those who are in favor of Roe can't pinpoint exactly necessarily where that is. Um, and things kind of with Casey and other precedents just kind of evolve from there. So if it's not in the Constitution, then it's up to the elected representatives to decide. Right. Ashley Baker joining us now. Of course, our progressive friends and those that support abortion rights are going to disagree with Alito, usually pretty loudly. Here's the thing. This is all these state laws that were enacted. Some had trigger laws. Some went back to the legislator after this happened. There's going to be this is not the end of the abortion debate. This is the middle of the beginning of the end of the beginning. Right. We're going to see more court cases in the future with all these new state laws coming and all this. How long a period do you think it is before the Supreme Court takes up abortion again? Three years, five years? Will it be the next court after the Roberts court? At some point, we're going to go through this again. What do you think the time frame is going to be? Well, I don't, I don't think it would be the context of Roe specific. I mean, Roe, that was one of the good things and from my perspective and Roe being directly overturned and not just kind of left hanging, um, such as the court has done and and certain First Amendment cases, for example, and, and not fully overturning something. I mean, this is one of the first times um, and, you know, and. 200 years almost that the Supreme Court has kind of relinquished power to the legislatures. So any case that involves, you know, those state laws might, you know, come in a different a different form, um, whether that's in the realm of administrative law and, or commerce or, or something kind of more specific to that. But, you know, whether or not there's a constitutional right to an abortion, that issue has been pretty well settled now. Ashley Baker. OK, this was heavy stuff. Let's have a little bit of fun. 
one of the internet, especially Twitter and Facebook's favorite things and favorite conspiracy theories is the marshal of the Supreme Court and what they do and don't do. One little spray of sunlight in this Dobbs thing. We actually had a legitimate sighting of the marshal of the Supreme Court and what they actually do. So break the meme down and the conspiracy theory down for what does the marshal of the Supreme Court actually do since we actually got to see them do their job here? Well, if you look at the the process involving the investigation, I, I don't know how the more, I think that kind of started as a little bit of a joke because it is called Marshall the Supreme Court. It, it sounds, um, you know, you can imagine someone and what they what they might be wearing and state, like it's a, you know, 18th century sort of um, depiction. But, you know, there in, in terms of the processes um, involving, you know, the security of the court itself, of the, you know, premises of the justices, um, they run that whole operation sort of. Yeah, I think people think it's like Black Rod at the opening of Parliament in UK. They got the big fancy hat and a big stick and they bang on the door. And it, yeah, no, that's not what it is. <laughs> All right. A little bit of, look, even the Supreme Court's got to have some fun once in a while, right? Uh, Ashley Baker, she's with the Committee for Justice. She also does some antitrust stuff. We're going to have her back to talk about that. But my friend, until we get you on her tell again, let folks know where they can find you, how they can follow you and keep up with what you're doing until we talk to you again. Sure. And thanks again for having me. So you can find our website is committeeforjustice.org or you can find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is and Ashley says, and you can find me there under Ashley Baker. We will do it. We're going to link to all this stuff. We'll link to the various things she has. I'm also going to link to that direct report. Like we just said, read it yourself, short document. It's short. It's only about two pages and the Chertoff stuff's about another six pages. Read it for yourself. Ashley Baker, really appreciate the time. We'll do it again soon, my friend. Thank you. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics 
from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.